Amen. We are continuing our uh, look at the letter to the Colossians. We are almost halfway. We're finishing up chapter 2. Just a few reminders, as you might note in your uh, worship guide, this is part 2 of the end of the struggle, or freedom from the struggle. Um, And I I, want to remind us that the Bible is often thought of as a book of imperatives, what you're supposed to do. You might even think of the Ten Commandments as being like the place where that's the most obvious. But what we want to remind you is that the Bible always gives the indicatives before the imperatives. It always tells you who you are before it tells you what you do. Even in the Ten Commandments, God says, I am the Lord your God. I brought you up out of Egypt. I rescued you. I brought you in. Now, here are the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. And even then, there's, when you fail, here's how the atonement works. In our own passage, Colossians, Paul is definitely giving things to do, but in chapter 1 and 2, he's primarily saying who you are. And in chapter 3, he'll transition and now do this. So we're going to look at chapter 2 and finish it up this morning. Last week, we started the discussion in verse uh, 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you or that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. He's reminding us as Christians, we have a propensity to, though the, 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 the handcuffs have been taken off, we tend to like let people put them back on. We tend to allow ourselves to be captivated by things and by people. Um, at the end of that passage, he says, the rulers and authorities have been disarmed. I didn't use this as an illustration, but as I thought through it this week, and I've said this before, I believe, Scooby-Doo, right at the end of Scooby-Doo, every episode, like everyone, the whole town has been freaked out by this monster, and the, this, the young people come in, and one of them pulls the hood off, and it's Mr. Withers, the janitor. It'd be silly if you put that back on to be scared again. Right? You'd be like, that's Mr. Remember? It's Mr. Withers. He's been disarmed. The law has been disarmed. Uh, the rulers, the authorities have been disarmed. Yet as Christians, we have a propensity to, to, though we know that in our head, allow things in our lives to take us captive once again. This morning we will look, uh, Paul moves into the heresy uh, a little bit more in detail. I will give you just some heads up. There are some strange things in this passage. There are some words and some phrases that will tend to make you want to tune out. Please don't. Stay with me. We'll try to explain them as well as we can. And, 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 we'll, and I think you'll see there is riches in understanding this passage. So, starting in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are, were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism 
and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we praise you for providing us in your son Jesus complete freedom. Forgive us for turning back to worthless ways. I pray this morning, even though we won't fully understand exactly what was happening in the church at Colossae, help us understand the principles behind it, that we would recognize our tendency to turn toward things, ideas, people, rather than you for life. Free us from that this morning. Amen. I guess I wouldn't, I'm going to make an apology for this opening illustration because I've probably used it three or four times. So some of you should be really familiar with this illustration. Others will say, I've never heard that. The movie Contact is one of my favorite points of the movie that illustrates this principle. It's a movie where Jodie Foster is a scientist. She's communicating somehow with alien life and gets plans for this structure. Those of you that know the movie really well, forgive me. Um, and, and the whole world really comes together to see what's going to happen when a person who's been chosen, which happens to be Jodie Foster as well, gets sent through like this thing into like wormholes and stuff like that all over heaven, all over the universe, excuse me. Well, there, somewhere along the construction phase, someone thought, let's add a chair. I mean, we like chairs. You all are sitting in them right now. The aliens probably don't like chairs. We like chairs, so we're going to add a chair. Well, at the scene where the ball is going to go through the wormholes, it's kind of fascinating. The viewer in the control room just sees it drop into like a net through these things. But inside the capsule, she like has this entire traveling experience. But at first, there's just violent shaking. Do you remember? It just, it feels like it's just going to explode. The look in her eyes, the feeling for the viewer is, this is not going to work. And then all of a sudden, the chair just snaps off. And it's perfect peace. And you realize, the movie, the people who made this movie did a perfect job saying, stop adding things to perfect plans. Jesus has given us a perfect gospel. And there's something in us that thinks, I need a chair. I need just a little thing right here in the corner. Everything else is fine. And what Paul is showing us is that when you add to the gospel, it doesn't just make it a little off. It ruins the whole thing. Okay? So where this morning, what I hope to see is the most simple proposition of any sermon I've ever preached. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. The outline, I heard an amen. We can close. If someone will clap. Just kidding. No, no, just, no, no. Sorry. The three uh, points are very simple. Trouble in this Bible passage trouble in our world since it doesn't really coincide perfectly, meaning the things they were dealing with aren't exactly like what we're dealing with, and how Jesus is the answer. So, trouble in the Bible. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Paul is transitioning from his intro to don't be taken captive to the elemental spirits or principles of this world. Uh, Jesus nailed the, the demands to the cross. You've been free. And now he begins to give some specifics, and nobody knows exactly what they mean. But let me try to help us at least understand what they might mean. Um, the first few are found in verse 16. 
are Jewish laws. They come from the Old Testament by and large. Uh, questions of food and drink, uh, regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these all have Jewish leanings. Now, uh, for ex- in the Old Testament, drink wasn't necessarily part of the food law, so a lot of scholars think it's sort of the law on steroids. It's kind of, they've, they've transitioned into a more strict version of the law. Other, other scholars think it's what's called syncretism, where you have Jewish laws with Gnostic tendencies, pagan modern tendencies blending together with new forms. But the point is that the, the Colossians are at risk because they're being judged by these things. That these things seem, seem innocent, but when you go around promoting these things, and you, you inevitably pass judgment on someone else. Think of Peter uh, in the book of Galatians. Paul tells us of a story where Peter is visiting Antioch. Peter's the Jerusalem pa- uh, apostle. He would go out on these tours, and he's visiting Antioch, and he's having a great time meeting the the Gentiles, and then some Jew, a Jewish party shows up, a group, and they have a meal, and they, they separate, and he sits down with the Jews and eats. Now, he wasn't saying, Gentiles, you're not going to heaven. But that's the way it was communicated to the Gentiles, that, yes, you have Christ. Yes, you're, all the benefits of Christ are yours, but somehow this group is a little better. They've got just a little bit more figured out. And so Paul had to stand up and confront him in front of everybody in what probably had to be the most, one of the most embarrassing moments of Peter's life, I would hope, and be told, this is not okay. We are, it's not okay to pass judgment on others in regards to these principles. So there's that going on in the passage. But then it moves on into verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. In verse 16, it says, let no one pass judgment And then in almost parallel fashion, let no one disqualify. Those are very synonymous concepts. But now what follows are weird things, like insisting on asceticism. That's extreme bodily control. Someday we'll find out why this does that. That's on the list, the the noise that just pops. We're, We're working on it. Maybe in like 10 years we'll figure out why it does that. Okay, sorry. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. We're in verse 18. Worshiping, worship of angels. There are pages of commentary about that. Like, no one knows. But I will tell you some of the thoughts. The two, I think, the two top two are these. One is we get really excited about things that are not essential, like angels. They're in the Bible. You hear about them. And we all know about Jesus and God and the Trinity, but the angels, that's kind of cool. Like, they're everywhere. Let's talk about them and, and really spend time exploring this. You see this in Hebrews, uh, in the letter of, to the Hebrews, that there's almost this desire to just dive into super spirituality. That's one option. Another option is that whatever the angels represent are seen as mediators to God. So we have God, we have Jesus, but you really need to go through the angels. Those are some options. And there are quite a few other options. But the point is this. It's not Jesus alone. Right? And, and, and what's worse is these views are puffing up sort of an inner ring. The first list in verse 16 are things that everybody would feel compelled to do. Right? All of you should do this. 
the new moon. That's out of the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew calendar. We're going to you know, pay attention to these calendar events, or we're going to have a festival, or we're going to celebrate the Sabbath. We're gonna, all of us. The next list has a little bit more of that inner ring feel. It's like, I've had a vision. Now, maybe a few of you will have one as well if God so grants you that gift, but I've had one. And guess what happens? Everyone immediately goes, wow, this guy's important. Let's follow this guy and drink his Kool-Aid. And so all the older people kind of know what that means. That's where it came from. Someone will have to do some research. But what I love about Paul is he goes further to say, if you look at verse 21, kind of he catchphrases from this movement. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that are perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Here's where I think we need to start drawing out some meaning. Whatever is going on, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Verses 23 and 20, 22 and 23. In other words, whatever is going on, the lure is that if I do these things or I'm part of these groups, I will have a heightened spiritual experience or I will have more restraint on certain fleshly desires and tendencies. There's a famous story from church history. I, I couldn't find the exact quote, so it may not even be real. But Tertullian was a North African church father um, he brought Latin into the mix. Uh, I believe that's where we, the word Trinity was coined by Tertullian. Not the concept, but the word. And, uh, but he apparently, at some point in his life, he, was one of the, he went out into the desert to essentially see himself become godlier. And he, was, he came to Christ at age 40. So for some reason, he was in Rome and studied like, Law, so he had this city. He may have had some sort of a city experience where he had visited places of ill repute and he couldn't get those thoughts out of his head. So he decides, I'm going to the desert and I'll be cleansed. And he, I think the quote is this uh, In the desert, uh, he goes out, he doesn't take like the thing you wear on your back with the little tube and water, and the, he doesn't have the McConnell's beautiful trailer out there with him that you, you know, he's by himself suffering because he's going to get rid of sin. And he says, I was surrounded by dancing naked women. In his mind. He could not do it. In other words, these things that we try to do have the appearance of wisdom, but they, they have absolutely zero ability at stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Well, what Paul is saying is the sin lies inside of you. You can't get rid of it without Jesus. This week, we were, we were driving through Tulsa around lunchtime, and I wanted to go to Cane's because it's a good restaurant. And I've been trying to eat cleaner, so this is my chance to eat bad. Emily, pull up Cane's. Where's the nearest one? Like 10 miles. Forget that. We'll just exit at Memorial, whatever, and we'll find one of these typical restaurants. Oh, there's a Wendy's pulling. And uh, we go in. Well, it's not like our Wendy's. You know, our Wendy's has been torn down and rebuilt. It's like perfect and spot. This is like one of the old ones, like maybe 10 years old. Just kidding. It's probably older than that. And so you walk in, and I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think I have OCD, but something in me, all the, red, all the ding, ding, like just, 
you walk up and you order, and you're just kind of like, this place... Well, I, I handed Meredith my cup. I went into the man's room to stand up and do some things in there. And then I went to do what you're supposed to do next, wash your hands. There's no soap dispenser. It wasn't broken. It wasn't empty. There were simply two screws where at one point there was a soap dispenser. And on the door, it says employees must wash hands. And I'm thinking, they can't. And I've already ordered. And I just walked out, and of course, the first thing Meredith said, did you wash your hands? <laughs> so I go out, and I eat, and I'm cranky, and this place is not for me. I am so far better than this restaurant. Do you know what the leading cause of death is? I think it's heart disease. Am I right? Not unwashed hands. I'm like joyfully eating a horribly fried thing with hands that have not been washed. Didn't bother me. These are my hands. Uh, afraid of this place. And you just, it's just a silly example of how easy it is to pass judgment, to disqualify, to have certain principles and rules that are pretty good, but to allow them to seep into your system in such a way that I can't even thank Jesus that I'm eating food. There's, this is a miracle. I'm eating chicken. This thing was born out of an egg. It grew up. It was, it's been delivered to me on a bun. It's been fried. And I'm complaining in my soul. Okay. We all fall prey to wanting more than just Jesus. It's fine to want clean hands. It's fine to want a clean restaurant. What's not fine is to become completely undone and judging, and cranky, and it seeps into my personality to where I'm telling my wife, let me tell you what's going on. She had been walking the dog. I've got to tell you, this place is the pits. So rather than doing what I thought I would do normally, we did last week, we, we said, okay, modern ways of thinking would be, what are some rep points of reputation, right? What are areas of your appearance? What are some ways that you allow yourself to be taken captive? This week, I'm going to do a little bit of an end around and say, I'm going to read a few things that show, rather than what you're valuing other than Jesus, hints that you're valuing something other than Jesus. If any of these ring true, I would say, at the time that these things ring true in your life, at that moment, like my Wendy's experience, you're not resting in Christ alone. So I'm going to read some of these items. Uh, you tend to be ungrateful. You complain, you're bitter, you have a critical spirit, and tear down others. One. You tend to point out what's wrong, you're often dissatisfied. You gossip, i.e., you confess other people's sins, right? They, you need to criticize them because you have the gift of discernment. You tend to compare yourself with others, leading to either pride or depression. Pride if you beat them, depression when you don't, right? You tend to compare, your, oh, I read that, and you feel powerless to defeat any of the sins of the flesh, not knowing how to turn to Christ. Here's a big one. Are you prayerless? If you live a life of prayerlessness, you've added a chair, okay? Um, you boast. You're concerned about building a record of deeds that needs noticing and defending. You wish people would see things your way. You want to be in control, you look for satisfaction in your position, your possession, or pacifiers, which are maybe idols, 
something other than Jesus makes you feel worthy or worthwhile. You lack a passion to share the gospel. Since the Christian life is not really good news, it tends to be motivated by obligation or duty, not love. You feel alone. You lack vitality or daily intimacy with God, and you're full of self-concern. You're anxious over felt needs, money, health, relationships. You live on a success or fail basis. Is this getting heavy? Like, how, how many people are left standing if we were playing the game? Like, keep standing as long until I get to your thing. Everyone sat down like at number three, right? And, and the point is this. Those are what come out when we have allowed other things to pass judgment or disqualify us. Those are the symptoms of that. So the trouble in the world is we struggle to just trust Jesus, as we just saw in, those, in that list. And I want to just, as we close over the next few minutes, talk about how Jesus cures us of that. Um, if you look at verse 17, where Paul says, these, referring to the list, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I, I, I touched on that last week, but the point I want to draw out is this. The problem isn't that these things aren't valuable, but rather the problem is we see these things as the end. The, the, the reformers were very, um, I don't know if they were adamant, but they, they preferred the phrase means of grace over the term discipline. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I practice spiritual disciplines. Say it all you want. Let no one pass judgment on you. But it's maybe better to think of what you're doing as practicing a means of grace, a means to Jesus. If Bible reading becomes your end, or Bible memorization, or prayer, or theology, or attendance, or whatever, if those become your trophy case, the ends, then Jesus loses value for you. But if you're after Jesus and these things push you toward him, then they're means of grace. And so when we do things that are spiritual, they need to drive us to Jesus and show us who he is. And the reason is, is that we are made for worship. We worship. That word is a very tricky word. Um, you tend to think of what you do here. Well, I go to worship. But if I saw you at a concert, what would you look like? You know, like, ah, that's worship. How old, when we went to the Broncos game, Grayson was like eight or nine. Coleman had won it, but he was too young. So anyway, that'll play out in counseling years later. <laughs> but Grayson and I go to this Broncos game. We, he won the kickoff return boy thing. He grabbed the little thing after they kick it off. He had his 15 seconds of fame. It wasn't minutes, but he was on the Jumbotron, and the drunk guys in the row behind us were yelling, Grayson! He's like, I remember walking into that stadium, kind of through a tunnel around this, and then you walk out. All of a sudden, you're on a field, and everyone's cheering, and you think it's for you. Not really. But then I see the players come out, and I, my, I had this kind of dual thought, like, can you imagine if every Sunday you walked out on that field and everyone just worshipped you? Yeah. I mean, I could see why they loved what they did. 
And then I think his name's John Lynch. Is that his name? The Bronco, excellent tight end, anyway, defense, anyway. He comes behind me. I remember him, but he's in a suit. And the guy next was like, yeah, he was just cut from the team where he had been traded. And I just thought, it comes to an end. Like, he walks out and everyone's like, oh, hey, it's John Lynch. But that's the guy. It goes through your hand like sand. It perishes with use. What are you excited about? It's just going to perish with use. Jesus, according to Paul, according to all of time and creation, according to God's wisdom, is the end, the terminus, not the train, the end, not the means. I think the biggest problem in my spirituality and yours is not that we don't know who Jesus is, but rather we see him as needing to be a means to something else, health, life, even eternity. I want to go to heaven and, you know, spend eternity. Jesus will be there. He's the end. The Bible says when we're in his presence, you're going to feel that excitement, that minimal little, that Broncos game would be just crushed compared to the excitement to be in the presence of Jesus. I remember reading passages like, we're going to do that for 10,000 in the songs, you know. Well, that'll get boring. No, it won't. You won't want to leave. Whatever that looks like, however that happens, if you have to go over here and take a cruise and there's Jesus, you're going to be like, I got to get back. I want to worship him face to face. Jesus is the end and he's to be worshiped. Everything else is the shadow, right? So what verse 20 teaches is this, if we can pull that up. So if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That, that verse is saying, listen, you are new. You are no longer a person who needs to worship the created order. Stop. It will let you down. You will be crushed. We can go through all the ways. You all know I'm right. Everybody, everyone in here knows it's true. It's a matter of applying it. And all those things I read to you, all those ways that, uh, the, the, the list that I read to you of anxiousness and, and uh, feeling condemned, etc., are are the fruit of us trying to use Jesus or whatever means we can to get what we want rather than t- dying to that and living just for Jesus. And how can you tell you're starting to get close? You start to have questions. Like, well, if I do that, why would I go to work? Why would I continue? And you start to realize, oh, no, I'm exposing things, right? Like I'm starting to see the fact that I've based a lot of my motivation on fleshly things, and somehow I'm trying to tape Jesus into my life, but he's not who I'm pursuing, and that sounds scary, and I will say it's terrifying, but it's life-giving. And when you transition into that mindset, you are free. you're, You're living as one who's been raised again, and nobody can condemn you. Nobody can judge you. Um... I don't like, I I do, I guess I like to do personal illustrations, but you all often come up to me and say, oh, it's not. But there are two areas I think I'm just going to quickly mention. One is sermon prep. I medicate my soul on how I'm going to do better next time. That's what I do. 
Sunday mornings, I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm like, okay, next week. I'm going to start earlier, right? And I just, I'm just putting weights on my shoulders, right? Now, don't come up to me and go, oh, it's fine. Secondly, this is very vulnerable. I love all of you, but often I come in and go, forgot the email, forgot the name, forgot this. Oh, I need to do that. Oh, problem, 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 problem. You're all the monsters. I'm trying to pull off your hoods. Oh, just damn. The gospel frees me to do that, and it gives me life. Now, does that mean I should go on sinning that grace may abound, that I'll, I won't return emails, I'll be rude? No, but I need to live in Jesus and feel his freedom, and that will give what Paul says, by the way, in verse 29 of chapter 1, for this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's his energy. When I die to my motives and my ends that I'm after and make Jesus the end, his energy swoops in and takes me to places I had never dreamed before. But I've got to kind of let go of the things I'm clinging to, which can feel painful. <clears throat> I'm not going to be preaching for the next two weeks. That's why I'm going to go along and just do what I feel like doing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Shane will preach next week, and then a friend named Casey Shutt will be preaching the week after. I will be here that week. And then we come back to chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's not saying ignore the created order, become a Gnostic, this is all bad. He's saying seek. So we'll come back and talk about that further. But one way you could do that in the meantime is go back through the first chapters and begin to read some of these verses that he says over and over and chew on them. I'm going to just read a couple. Colossians 1.13, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 22, by the way, I just skipped 15 to 20, which is like the richest Christological chapter in maybe the New Testament. So chew on that. 22, he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. Nobody can say you didn't do it right if you're in Christ. 126, the mystery that has been hidden for the ages and generations is now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, Christ inside you, mystically, however that works. You are in Christ. Colossians 2.2, his prayer for the Laodiceans is that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Last week, we looked at verses 9 to 14. Paul is saying Christ is your circumcision. That is, your identity marker is no longer on your body. It's Jesus. You've died with him in baptism. You've been raised with him. All right, he set aside the rulers and authorities. You have new life in him. This is your identity. This is who you are. So when you don't live like that, stop it. When you start feeling these other things, instead of beating yourself up, say, ah, 
I'm putting the chains on again. I'm putting the masks on again. I'm, I'm attaching a chair. Or I've just kicked a chair I didn't know existed in my heart. And in, in Christ, that thing's coming out. And I'll have freedom again. And then I'll see you in, in three weeks and ask you how it's gone. Let's pray. Jesus, we are prone to wander. We are prone to put furniture in our soul that we think is more comfortable than you. And yet you've given us everything we need, a perfect gospel. We are, like Adam and Eve maybe, even in the garden, slightly afraid to trust you. But because we are Christians, because you have adopted us, because we are in you, Christ, we can boldly take hold of these promises. So I pray for my friends, Lord, and myself that we would chew on the realities of these verses in chapter 1 and 2 as we prepare for 3 and 4. The indicatives that we are in you and you are in us. Amen.